0: Hello stackers and welcome to a special creation corner episode. Uh, We are going to spend a little time today in a new to me format where we have a remote participant. Uh, We've done a little bit in the past with Michael, but uh, this is our first new person off the show coming in to chat with us. And so I just want to take a moment, first of all, to welcome Logan. Hi, how's it going? Doing fine, doing fine. And uh, Logan... You were, I think, directed to our show by a friend of ours. And uh, if you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself and and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my uh, good friend, uh, Jeremy, he was down in Texas uh, in December. And, uh, you know, as I love D&D and Critical Role, especially, and uh, he told me about you guys. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll check it out and listen to the first few episodes. I was like, okay, this just different. And then before you know it, I... Consider myself a stacker, no? <laughs> oh,
0: that's so exciting. That's so neat.
1: Um, so uh, a little bit about me. Um, I guess I started playing D&D back in 2016, so I've only ever known 5e. Um, I'll say my my journey to D&D started with The Witcher 3 because yeah. I played Gwent a lot in uh, The Witcher, which led me to try out Magic the Gathering, which eventually led to me uh, getting matched up with... a uh, other christians who played to d and d and lo and behold here i am super d and d addict that i am today
0: (laughs) great great uh so i take it you play quite a bit at home then do you have groups
1: there not as much as i'd like but uh, i'm sure it's uh (laughs) Uh,
0: and what kind of playing do you do is it uh do you have large groups small groups campaign settings homebrew
1: um right now um yeah so we've mostly been playing on roll 20 um we've been playing in a my friend Eric. Uh, hi, Eric. <laughs> we've been playing in his home brew world called Quint. Oh, uh, okay. we've been playing in that campaign probably since 2017, and we're just barely level seven.
0: <laughs> oh, hey, it's a process. Uh, and what's special about Quint? Is there anything that stands out as as particularly unique or fun for you?
1: Um, due to the sparsity of it, it's uh, kind of hard to say what I enjoy most about it. But. Uh, He's done some time travel elements and we're still trying okay. to figure out how that works. Um, <laughs> he really like went crazy with the world building aspect. And eventually that kind of led me to want to try to try my own thing. Um, when he was still working on it before we actually started playing in it, he had us all over to his house and uh, he uh, asked us to kind of help him like flesh out different parts of the world. And me being a huge fan of Vikings and Norse mythology, I'm like, okay, this area over here is called Vulcan reach. They're all <laughs> a bunch of Vikings and yada, yada, yada. And, I was going to have a character from there originally, but then over time I realized this region is just so far remote from where he's wanting to start this campaign. It just doesn't make sense for my character to go literally halfway across the world. And so then yeah. I thought about it a little bit more pretty recently. Uh, <clears throat> I was actually going to do a Skyrim or Elder yeah. Scrolls setting. And so I was working on that a little bit here and there. And then over time I was like, you know, there's just so much lore that I have to tie myself down to. And I just don't want to do that. And
0: Yeah. That's exactly the way I feel about uh, pre-made campaign settings. It's nice. You've got a wealth of information at your fingertips, but I feel like I have to read it all. And I feel, like you said, tied to it or bound to it, where if I get it wrong, somebody who knows it is going to be like, no, nope, that's actually not the way it is. And so I, I have really found a lot of freedom in, in doing my own world. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah.
1: So yeah, uh, over time, I just realized I just want to do my own thing. And uh, so this idea spring about and here I am kind of slowly working on it.
0: Yeah. So actually today we're going to spend some time talking about your world and your work and your approach, because I think it's instructive for folks to to understand different mindsets and different approaches, because not, no one approach I think will ever speak to everyone. So uh, just getting a sense for how to do it, where to start, what directions you've taken, uh, what kinds of neat things you're baking into your world? Um, maybe some inspiration sources for you from where you draw. Obviously, Norse mythology is going to be a big part of this. But um, you know, are there other things that you look at and, and draw from as you go through your process? So uh, I'd love to start at the beginning and uh, figure out, first of all, about your world. What is it? and um, And then just kind of go from there.
1: Okay. So keeping in mind throughout this podcast, it is still very much a very early work in progress. Mm -hmm. So everything that I'm probably going to say in this podcast will get thrown out at some point, (laughs) but who knows. Um, But as of right now, I, uh, I started off thinking it would be cool to do a very heavily Norse mythology inspired world. And uh, my friend, Eric encouraged me to just go that path because he knows that's what I love and I'm passionate about. And I was trying hard to stay away from it just so I wouldn't be too, um, what's the word derivative of it. Uh-huh. But then I was like, I just need to embrace it Because that's, that's where I'm at I, I just need to embrace it And so that's where I'm at Yeah. And so me and my buddy Eric were talking about it And uh, one of the things I couldn't figure out Was naming my world So he was like, oh hey, here's this cool Norse word, it's called Vigrir And we were looking into it And it essentially translates to Battlefield So then from there I'm like Ooh, okay, I got it And I wrote this whole backstory on it Basically uh, my world is going to be the result of uh, the end of a eons-long war between the gods and uh, what for now I'm calling the Jotun, like from Jotunheim. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: The good old giants.
1: Yes. And again, that could change. But um, I'll just go ahead and read you the uh, quick little backstory just so we kind of have that out of the way. Before the beginning, the gods waged war against the Jotun over many eons across the plains of existence. Worlds were shattered, entire races extinct. The destruction across the plains was immeasurable. The Allfather consulted with the Fate Weavers in an attempt to see a way out of the war. The fate weavers, bound to an ancient oath, could not tell him, lest the flow of time and destiny be disrupted and leave permanent damage. So they spoke in riddles to try to guide him without breaking their oaths. Upon hearing these riddles, the Allfather came to the realization that life would never again flourish while the war raged. The Allfather used all of his power to force the armies onto a barren and desolate world of his own creation to finish the fight. The result was a pyrrhic victory for the gods. The Yotam were defeated, with the survivors being sealed away for eternity, but many lives were lost. The world was covered in the bodies of fallen gods. The Allfather's power was drained from the sheer magnitude of what he needed to do, leaving him a shadow of his former self. However, the surviving gods still looked unto him for wisdom and guidance. He appointed each of the gods to take charge of various domains so that life could begin anew. The Allfather decided to call this world Vigrir as a reminder of how this world came to be and the sacrifices that were made to begin life anew. This started with the planting of a sacred tree that grew to be the mightiest tree on Vigrir. Once the All-Father charged the surviving gods with their different domains and planted the sacred tree, his life essence passed into the Ether Realm, a sort of realm between the realms of life and death. Although the Allfather passed into legend, his influence can still be felt on the world.
0: Okay. Uh, So I take it that's uh, Yggdrasil that uh, that you're using as the tree? Yes. Okay. And and I will apologize. My cat is wrapping around my ankles as we speak. (laughs) If that comes through in the recording, stackers, please understand she loves attention, especially when I'm sitting (laughs) at my desk. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like a great start. So it sounds like you've got some elements of epic Warfare in the past, uh, room for maybe some mystery. Uh, Certainly the idea of fate is heavily, heavily tied into Norse mythology in general. So maybe an idea of fate involved with your world as well. Definitely. Yeah. Um, So based on that, um, and that's a great intro. First of all, having what amounts to an elevator pitch um, for your campaign setting, that's, that's a neat way to start it. I don't think I did anything like that. Uh, going into this game, uh, my son and I spoke a lot about ideas and directions and and history, but we never took the time to actually form a, like a, an introduction to the world. And I think that's a great start.
1: Appreciate uh, I appreciate that. I I literally made that up while I was at work when I didn't have anything to do. <laughs>
0: hey, hey, man, that's that's wonderful. Uh, and I think that could almost serve as something like a mission statement for future. As you're developing things, does that tie back to this core concept? Or yeah. Or whatever. So yeah, I could see that being a powerful tool for uh, for guiding your your world building efforts in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Uh, so with this, uh, it sounds like you may be a little undecided on the name for your world continent or um, something.
1: The 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 Earth itself is called Vigadier. Okay. Um, and i have call I'm calling the setting sagas of Vigadier. Okay. Yeah, because you know Vikings and their sagas, you know. Yeah, not of all. course.
0: And it's nice to hear it applied to something saga worthy. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So where I'm, where I'm struggling now is, uh, and this is uh, advice my buddy Eric told me: don't go top down like he did. He told me to avoid the top down approach because that's what he did. He went all the way down. He's got too many details that he's not even going to mm-hmm. be able to get to. Yeah, yeah. Which so I'm trying to avoid that, but there's that temptation to flesh out too much. But uh, yeah. I know my, yeah. my campaign has to start somewhere. So what I need to figure out is at least the name of the country or region that's going to start. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. And that that's why we settled very quickly on Arden as right. our starting point. Just a little village, um, kind of a small town feel to it. I figured if we have a good starting point, then the, the world will kind of grow organically. Because I had no idea where, where our players were going to go from the outset or what routes they were going to take or anything so a lot of the game has been let's play to a point i stop and then uh, i i use the time between now and next time to build the road ahead of us just (laughs) a little bit so we know what's coming up in the immediate future there have been plenty of times where i've had to to say all right we need to stop here because i don't have anything else
1: (laughs) yeah there you
0: go (laughs) the the big story is there you know the the overarching large world events and things those are going on but um when it comes to what they're going to do tomorrow i don't know yeah so that's good yeah um bottom up top down or micro to macro macro to micro that's that's really i think ultimately going to be a matter of personal preference or even you know that could change from day to day Mm -hmm. today i feel like doing large-scale stuff and then working down or Today, you know, I really had an idea for one particular area or town or something. Let me work on that, and then it starts to get bigger. Yeah. Uh, have you found either one to be particularly helpful to you?
1: Um, like I said, still very early work in progress. Um, I, I uh, what I'm really bad at is I'll have an idea get into my head, and I don't write it down immediately, so I end up forgetting it. But um, right now, what, a couple of ideas I'm kind of bouncing around with for at least. A one shot, maybe uh, the beginning of a full campaign. Um, uh, again, very Viking heavily inspired. Um, one, uh, uh, what's the term? Uh, adventure hook. One idea I had was uh, to have the uh, players be part of a raiding party. Yeah. And it goes horribly wrong, and they either get trapped in wherever they're raiding or they have to figure out why it went wrong. Like maybe somebody intentionally sabotaged it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you know, Thane and I have spoken a bit uh, in recent Creation Corner episodes about the complexities of starting a game. That it, it is not an easy thing to do. How do you get a, kick, a game kicked off? How do you get characters together? Um, and I, I love the idea of you already know each other. And yeah, that that just takes a lot of the complexity out of it. Yeah, for sure. So that that sounds like a neat one, and obviously rating. Was a very Viking activity, so it's it's something that you'll have a lot to draw from. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the other idea I had, and uh, my wife uh, pointed out to me very lovingly that I was ripping off of the Assassin's Creed with this. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, was uh, to uh, start it off at a feast mm-hmm. where it's like a peace dinner, or whatever. Like two warring tribes have come together to make amends, and the, this feast is like a symbol of that unity. Oh, then some bad actors. Scattered throughout, sabotage it to start the war back up for their own gain, hmm. which is basically the opening to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. But
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I've stalled on that one. I've I've been working on it, and then uh, I'll be getting back to it at some point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's a obviously a, a very good one. Feasting and um, and uh, tribal conflict. You know, that's that's a huge wealth of possibilities there hmm so it look, looks like you've got some good things going there so what do you see maybe and i i understand if you don't want to give away possible campaign ideas but what do you see happening in a campaign
1: okay gotcha um so you know back to my original uh, backstory of the whole world with some yotan not being defeated they're just sealed away like maybe the players accidentally uncover one of these and unleash it upon the world ah
0: and so they need to stop their what they've created or or reawakened
1: that or there's a might be a cult that uh, uh wants to bring it back
0: yeah yeah that's a good one for that matter if it's if it's a very splintered land splintered region you could have somebody trying to gain control of them to uh to cause problems or, or gain ascendancy yeah interesting
1: yeah um as far as camp like fall campaign ideas i don't have a ton um Kind of what I've really looked at is uh, just uh, cultures. Okay. Trying to like change up some of what we come to expect from D and D and fantasy in general. Granted, it's not too much of a diversion, but uh, so very early on, I just kind of became obsessed with this idea that orcs aren't evil uh, because you know generally they are depicted as evil or brutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I thought it'd be cool if yeah, maybe they do have problems with other people, but it's not because they're evil. It's just kind of their way. Yeah. So I kind of pictured them as almost like Russian as, as uh, my friend Eric said, maybe pre-socialist, uh <laughs> <laughs> pre-USSR <laughs> Russia. Yeah, yeah. But like very, very pragmatic. They they don't take any nonsense. They just, they do things very practically and there's no flash. It's just, they do what they need to do and be done with it. And they kind of have their own society. We kind of floated this idea that maybe they do have some slaves in the form of worker and drow.
0: Hmm.
1: I think could be interesting.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I too like the idea of taking traditional perspectives and, and turning them on their head. Basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just something about having a table of players, especially when you have seasoned players and they know what to expect and they're used to something. And suddenly it's not like that. That really makes them rethink approaches and, you know, be more creative in how they take on certain situations.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, elves, I'm kind of fluctuating between two things. It's kind of hard for me to get away from what we know elves to be. They're either going to be very heavily nature-based people or very stuck up or both. <laughs> yeah. So my idea would be, uh, and this is uh, very much a, an inspiration from The Witcher, um, with the elves being uh, kind of relegated to the forest and kind of hunted down and kind of having to be guerrilla fighters just to kind of protect themselves. My other idea is uh, they are the stand-in for the Saxons. Ah. And so they kind of have their own kingdom that might be split up, kind of like uh, England back in the day. You you had Northumbria, Wessex, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Something like that. So like Hmm. four or five elf kingdoms that are separate, but kind of the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The elves to me, I've always been interested in them. Uh, I... I think I first stumbled across fantasy when I was five or six and my dad had a copy of the Hobbit Nice. Uh, in our home library. And of course it wasn't long after that, that I found Lord of the Rings and, uh, and so reading through that and I was just fascinated both by the dwarves and the elves at first, the elves more so. And uh, you know, just they're always rendered or depicted as being so unapproachable. So, so different. Yeah. If you could find a way to to capture that, but still do something fun with them, you know, that, that yeah. can make for a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, like maybe a reason they're unapproachable, like they've had a really bad history with outsiders.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's your fault, not mine. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, could, that could definitely be an option. Um, yeah. Uh, another thing, I mean, another buddy of mine, uh, Zach... I've kind of floated uh, was uh, some game mechanics and then I'm kind of jumping all over the place on. No, that's fine. All that's this, fine. <laughs> yeah, it's all
0: open, open for us.
1: I'm going to pull this up real quick. Um,
0: yeah. You, I think you were mentioning that you had some limitations on races and that sort of thing. Is that what this def, is?
1: Definitely. That, the the race part, I'm still kind of working on I actually because of this podcast, I decided to actually work on that a little bit. So uh, because of the setting uh There'll be nothing that is cyberpunky, so no warf or no war forged or anything like uh-huh. that. I'm not gonna allow artificers. Um and uh, at least for the humans, me and my buddy were kind of thinking no wizards. Interesting. Because uh um, he pointed out that uh Norse people were not necessarily interested in studying or yeah. being highly educated, and uh if they believed in any kind of magic it was natural.
0: Yeah, some more druidic.
1: Druidic sorcery, which you know, sorcerers, you know, they have dragon blood in them. I can kind of feed into it. It comes from you rather than having to read about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean wizards won't exist in my campaign setting, just it'll be limited.
0: I see. Yeah, that's neat. And uh, playable races, are you, are you going to limit players based on race also?
1: Yes. So here's what I'm thinking will definitely be part of it. So, Astaroth, I think, uh, is a no-brainer um, because that, there's a lot of potential for how they can be part of this world. Um, dragons are going to be in this world for sure. I've actually already fleshed out a dragon god. Um, mm-hmm. The only, the only god so far besides the all Father that I've fleshed out. Um, so they'll be dragonborn. There'll be dwarves and elves. I'm kind of on the fence on firebolts, but I'm kind of leaning towards they'll stay. Uh, Goliaths are definitely staying because uh, they'll be. Descended from Jotun in some form. Okay. Half elves, of course. No gnomes, uh, but there will be halflings. Half orcs and orcs. Humans, of course. Um, tieflings, I'm on the fence about. Um, it could still happen. I'm just not sure yet. Uh, then the other two that I'm still considering keeping are Kalistar and Shifter.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that has a chance... Just by including or excluding certain things, you're already setting the tone for your world. Um, Yeah. By by saying wizards are not a playable thing, or they're a very limited subset of what they normally are, you're already letting your players know a little bit about your world, which is, I think, an interesting uh, aspect.
1: And in an ideal world, they would all just play humans and just go raiding and killing things, but I don't want (laughs) to... I want to be kind and let people have options. I just want to make it make sense for what I'm trying to create here, I guess. Sure. Sure. Uh,
0: so as far as your world building approach, we talked a bit about, you know, do you start big, go small, start small, go big. Uh, we've talked about your inspiration. Are there any other aspects of world building, um, like books you're reading or shows you're watching that are feeding into this?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll have to go back probably more than 10 years. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if you knew this from our little bit of conversation on Twitter, but I am a big metalhead. <laughs> um, so my favorite band is Marth, Amarth. Okay. All their songs are about Vikings and Norse mythology.
0: Yeah. That'll make Thane very happy.
1: Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that kind of, that plus um, the Thor movie from Marvel coming out around the same time, Mm-hmm. Got me interested in all that. Um, but very quickly, I realized Thor of Marvel is not Thor of Norse mythology. It's, no. they, sh- they share a name and they share a weapon. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's no disrespect to the MCU because Thor is my favorite in the MCU. But yeah, but no, Martha is my favorite band. And uh, say so they've definitely kind of been a through line for my passion for Norse mythology and Norse culture. And so it's influenced uh, the kind of uh, books I read, the kind of shows I watch.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to note how how influential music can be. Often we think of it as background, as noise to fill, quiet time, or whatever. But, I mean, it can really uh, influence a lot. Everything from mood all the way to, you know, obviously you're talking about lyrics in Amana Marth. Even environment, atmosphere, um, <clears> they <throat> can do a lot to set your mind for creative endeavors.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Sirius XM, but they have a metal station on there. And uh, I don't remember, it was years ago, they had this uh, program called Listener Domination where people could email in and pick out three songs that they'd play if they got to be a DJ for. Thirty minutes, mm-hmm. whatever. So I was like, okay, sure, I'll try it out. And they call me like within a week. And so, Twilight of the Thunder God by Amanda Marth was my last song for that playlist I picked out. Nice. Yeah. And it's a song about a uh, Thor's fight with Jormungandr.
0: the world encircling serpent.
1: Yeah. Yes. And uh, so that song has it's my it's my favorite song of theirs. It's a, uh, I think it definitely has influenced that song alone has influenced my approach to building this world. Because I just, I love the image I get just listening to that song and the lyrics. It's just, it's massive.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm going to have to go listen to it after this. And (laughs) uh, I think we'll try and include a link to it if there's a YouTube video available. Yeah. YouTube video
1: is not as awesome as the song is. (laughs) Because, you know, budgets and all. But yeah. But uh, books I'm reading right now, um, I've become a pretty big fan of Brandon Sanderson. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, his Cosmere stuff does not necessarily. Uh, have anything to do with Norse mythology, but his approach to world building and magic systems especially has been really, just really good.
0: Yeah. And I'll ask you to uh, provide a link to that, to the Amazon page, perhaps, so that uh, yeah, anyone yeah. listening can follow up on that too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of books and he's a, he's a crazy writer. He he writes like crazy. <laughs> but yeah I'll, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll definitely include uh, some of the books from his series that I recommend. Um,
0: sure, sure. And there's a reason he was tapped to finish Robert Jordan's Wheel of yeah. Time series, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Which I need to read that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me
0: too. I, I've given it a shot once, and uh, I heard the first book audio, and I said, okay, that was good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, another author I like uh, is Joe Abercrombie in his uh, First Law Trilogy. That one is more... Kind of along the lines of uh, something George R. R. Martin would write, like with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very um, grimdark. One of the th- one of the main characters is named Logan, so uh, that's there that was go. my initial that was my <laughs> initial draw. But uh, I really enjoyed how visceral and descriptive he was with the fight scenes. Like each fight had meaning and it packed a punch. Like no character was guaranteed to survive a fight, and at the end, the main character, one of the main characters, Logan, he would just be like still alive, like. <laughs> It was just, you felt every fight when you were reading it. It wasn't anything like I read before.
0: Yeah, nothing taken for granted. That's good.
1: Yeah. Which is kind of what I want to do with my world is, you know, now obviously I'm not aiming for Dark Souls difficulty here, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't want my players to feel completely safe.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, so let's take a look then at, um, we, we've talked a bit about your the work that you've done already. Uh, What work do you see lying ahead? What kinds of things, what directions are you thinking you're going to go next with your development?
1: I've kind of flirted with the idea of creating a new subclass or maybe even a a whole new class. I don't know what those look like yet, but um, something flavorful for the world. Um, Obviously I need to at least work on a starting area. Uh, Yeah. Kind of maybe put some road, not roadblocks necessarily, but like some like maybe create an outline for what a campaign could look like, mm-hmm. um, what I would do with it just so I didn't create this world just to create it and then do nothing with it, you know?
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah.
1: It's actually one of my New Year's resolutions to actually make this thing playable before the end of the year, so I'm working on it.
0: Oh, that's great. And uh, what about problem areas? Are you, are you stuck on anything? Or are you struggling to uh, figure something out?
1: Um, only because I'm not actively working on it like I should be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's my biggest problem area is just not actually sitting down and working on it um,
0: yeah it's tough I mean there's so many other demands and things that require your attention uh, yeah it it's challenging I know it always seems like recording day for us creeps up and suddenly it's the next day and I'm like oh no I don't have anything ready <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you know it's a weird dichotomy with uh, prepping for D&D like it's fun yeah. but knowing you have to prep for it is a nightmare <laughs>
0: Yeah part of the problem is it's not a story it's a collaborative effort and so even if you plan 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 uh, there's no telling what the characters are going to do
1: yeah so i'm running uh princess of the apocalypse right now for the group and so this last session we did based on what they were talking about in the previous session I'm like okay they're probably going to go do this this is this and then my buddy texted me like two days before he's like hey i'm probably going to want to do this like oh (laughs)
0: <laughs> that changes everything yeah
1: yeah it did <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't the smoothest session but i got through it and so now they're actually getting to where i was expecting them to go
0: yeah yeah that's the great thing i mean as as a dungeon master you can keep so much spinning behind the screen where uh this didn't work out this time but i'm going to dangle it over here now yeah. and, and so eventually you can work it in if it's it if it's important enough to your story, you can find a way to sneak it in somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Yeah, super. And I'm glad I'm doing this first, because uh, it is kind of sandboxy, which is kind of what I want my world to be at some point, sandboxy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we've mentioned that in some of our Creation Corner episodes already. We wanted it to feel like the players have complete agency. You know, If you want to go over there, go over there. Um, I'm not going to stop you. I, I may have to make something up. It may not be the best thing in the world but at least you have the option.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I, I'd, I'd like to see what would happen if my players were to somehow create some kind of a power vacuum somewhere.
0: Ooh, yeah. Or, or set up a, a rival or a potential controller of the Jotun. Mm-hmm. Uh, to now, now you're a new player in the field, and what does that mean for the other factions? Do they gang up against you? Now is there a three-way fight between, you know, whatever the case might be? There's some fun possibilities there.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. You got any other prompting questions for me?
0: Uh, not really. I'm freewheeling it just like you are on the answers. Yes. And so we're just kind of taking this informally, which I like. I, I like yeah. the I like conversation about it. It's, it's just great to be in this game uh, and doing stuff. And I would love at some point maybe in the near future, if you're open to it, coming back maybe after you've started a game in this world, in this campaign setting and talking about, here's what I planned and here's how it's changed. Yeah, uh, I think that would be very instructive also, because I know some of the things my characters have done have forced me to think about new areas, new ways of, of thinking about certain places. And so that's been a lot of fun for me. I think a growth area.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That could be fun.
0: Um, is there anything else you want to go over? I know you said you wanted to talk about a couple of
1: things. I can tell you about my dragon god. That's really the only oh, bit of great. the Pantheon. Um, and it's it's a very short little blurb I wrote. But uh, so you know how in Forgotten Realms we normally have Bahamut and uh, mm-hmm. Tiamat representing the uh, metallic dragons or the chromatic dragons. Well, in Vigdir, it's just going to be one dragon that represents all dragons. So this this dragon god is going to be neutral, uh, true neutral. Uh, it's a three-headed dragon named Dracon. Mm-hmm. So I, I got some inspiration from Fizbon's Treasury of Dragons uh, for this one. <laughs> this is how they've introduced the Jim dragons, which I think is actually really cool. So we'll have, yeah, I'll just read the blurb instead of just freewheeling it. Um, Dracon, a fierce three-headed dragon who survived the Battle of Vigdior, was given charge to ensure draconic bloodlines continued. Dracon's three heads represent different aspects of draconic bloodlines and lineage. The right head has a smooth blend of gold, silver, and copper representing metallic dragons the left head is black with four differently colored horns representing the chromatic dragons and the metal head has a crystalline appearance with changing color depending on the light all dragons and dragonborn are descended from dracon Hmm. Um, a buddy and i kind of well not me but mostly my buddy zach kind of threw in a bunch of other gods i could work with um None of these are finalized so I'm not really going to go over them but he kind of gave me different domains I could work on like a, a god for uh, heat of battle and bears and berserkers uh, looks like uh, we got naval warfare uh, single combat uh, so that, I think that would be something that could be really cool is that at some point um, maybe one of my players insults an NPC like insults their honor somehow and so it doesn't matter what their class is it could be a druid or Sorcerer, or even a you know fighter. Um, No matter what, it would have to be a no magic, melee weapons only, single combat fight, maybe to the death or something. Yeah, Um, I think that'd be kind of cool. I've kind of thought about reworking um, alignments a little bit, because for me as a player, trying to play within an alignment is hard. Because I could say, okay, my character is chaotic neutral, but then I end up doing too much good, which. I'm sure that's a common struggle for everybody who plays is trying to play true to alignment.
0: Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I, I've been playing since, well, I've been interested in D&D since third grade, which is longer ago than I would like to admit.
1: Please tell us how long ago. Before,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would have been the early 80s. And then uh, I didn't really play play until my ninth grade year of high school. But I've never been in a game that really enforced much about alignment, and I know earlier editions I think made a bigger deal about playing to alignment than Fifth Edition seems to.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but that would be that would make for some interesting possibilities.
1: Yeah, I uh, was reading recently because I was I was kind of looking around just seeing if I could get some ideas. Was uh there's actually an optional ability score called Honor hmm. that uh, you don't actually roll for. It's just I think it starts at ten, and then the DM decides whether or not you gain points in honor, or lose points hmm. in honor. I don't know how I would work that in, but I think that'd be kind of cool, just to kind of shake things up.
0: Yeah, and is this a is this from fifth edition D and D, or is this a separate? Yeah, really? Huh?
1: Yeah. Um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll try to find a good link, and you can put that in your show notes if you.
0: Yeah, that would be wonderful. Uh, I've not heard of that. Is it Unearthed Arcana, or is it official? out of the player's handbook or something.
1: That I don't know. Uh, I saw That's it It was two separate ability scores. It was Honor and Sanity. Hmm. So I think Sanity would be good for some like Eldritch Horror type stuff like dealing with Cthulhu or right, Right, whatever,
0: Or anything that has you dealing with uh, with deities. Mm-hmm. That can be mind-blowing. Interesting. Okay, yeah, if you can locate that, I'd, I'd love to share that in our notes. Sounds good. And um, I'll say I, I have many times had good intentions to sit down with the player's handbook and the DM's guide and just start reading. And I just get so easily distracted <laughs> from just plowing through. So I'm sure there's tons of stuff in both of those books that I've never touched before.
1: Yeah, you know, it's... Even though I've been playing for as long as I have and DMing here a little bit, I don't know every rule. I don't think anybody does. Nah, yeah. yeah. Not, not even the best, like Matthew Mercer. I don't think he knows every rule. I mean...
0: Yeah. And I think that's where being a good judge of your table comes in knowing yeah. what needs to be focused on and what's just kind of okay to push to the side and not yeah, worry that, about.
1: That's what I enjoy about DMing. I found is yeah, there are rules, but even the DMG says these are guidelines. Yes. That yeah. They make it clear. These are guidelines. It's your table. Do what you want.
0: That's right. So that's like, right.
1: I've made calls that some of my DM friends have questioned and rightfully so, but then I'm like, no, this is actually what we're going to do because this, this <sighs> is my table.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super. So I would say, uh, let's let these thoughts, the things we've talked about, uh, kind of brew. Yeah. I would love to revisit this. Maybe when do you expect that your campaign will start?
1: That's a good question. Uh, We're still fairly early on in Princes of the Apocalypse. So I'd like to at least get a little bit more into that, just so I'm not forgetting about that campaign. But I do want to have this playable before the end of the year. I'm hoping maybe it'll be playable by summer. Um, I'm going to be beta testing it with a, people who are not my friends, just so I can get some honest criticism.
0: (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah. And uh, if you're you're ever stuck, I would love to hear from you, Um, you know, just talking through things or maybe giving you different perspectives or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I have found is so neat about doing this podcast thing is we have met some folks and been able to share thoughts and ideas and I've been able to turn to people with questions and it's been a lot of fun. And I think the more you DM the more you'll find that you're just growing. It's, it's good. Mm-hmm. Logan, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, and um, we'll be getting this up probably in a few weeks. Uh, if, okay. Before we go, if you can spell the name of your world, I, I believe I have the spelling in my mind, but I want to be sure.
1: Okay, so the English spelling is V-I-G-R-Y-R. Okay. And I will send a uh, – when I send you these links, I'll actually include the actual spelling. Yeah. Cause it's a, it's a weird like Norse character. Runic. Not, not runic, but, uh, it's, it's not a character in the English alphabet. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So that, that's how it's pronounced. as Vigadier.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Well, thanks for sharing, uh, at least a, a teaser about your yeah. world and your work. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and, uh, give me a chance to kick the tires on my new, uh, remote guest podcast setup. <laughs> 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 I hope it turns out well. And, uh, stackers if you have any questions or comments for logan is there somewhere where we can reach you
1: so i'm mostly active on facebook but i mostly just post memes so i don't know if that's a great place to talk to me there uh, i am kind of on twitter give me a second i don't remember my user on twitter <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> peril of multiple social media accounts
1: that, that is how little i'm on twitter i don't even remember my user uh, it is uh low viking 227 on twitter and the same on instagram Yeah, that's mostly where y'all can talk to me on uh, Instagram. I mostly post uh, (laughs) gym pics because I'm trying to stay accountable and actually go to the gym. There you go. But occasionally I just post fun stuff. Another thing (laughs) I post uh, sometimes, and this is a bit of a a plug if you're cool with me plugging it. um, Sure. So I'm actually a brand ambassador or a brand Viking for The Beard Struggle. Uh, They sell lots of great beard care, beard products, products. You can use my code LOLOVIKING to get 20% off your order. And uh, I get a little bit of that sale. So if you want to check out some awesome products, uh, feel free to check them out.
0: Cool. Well, Logan, again, thank you. Appreciate your time and your creativity and your willingness to talk about it. Stackers, if you want to reach them, we'll provide that information in the show notes also. And we'll see you here again next time at Stack of Dice.
1: Yeah. Yeah.